In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Chores. Growing up, some of us had them. I've also met plenty of people who didn't have any chores. Right? They get off on their own. They don't know how to do anything. Someone's got to help them, show them how to make coffee or pour cereal into a bowl. If you grew up on a farm, you may have had to throw hay down to the cattle before school. Maybe you had to help with dishes, laundry, cooking, the lawn. Maybe you had to just clean your room. When you're a kid, some days it can seem like just too much. Some days our parents have to kind of come and whip us into shape. Especially if you feel like your siblings aren't doing their fair share. Well, let's back up for a moment. This is what the Lord showed me, a basket of summer fruit. Now this might seem like a weird vision for the Lord to give Amos, right? Especially since God's response to Amos acknowledging the fruit is to say this, The end has come upon my people Israel, I will never again pass them by. Commentators will tell you that the fruit in question is overly ripe. It's in that last phase that you can use it. We know what that looks like. Maybe just mentioning that brings up a mental image or a smell. When you look at your bowl of fruit in the morning, when you pull something out of the crisper drawer, and you look at it, you know if you leave it for tomorrow, it's not going to last the night. That's what God's talking about here. I think most of us have had that frustration of going to pick up an apple or another piece of fruit, and when you're looking at it on one side, it's good. And when you pick it up and look at the other side, what do you see? That little shrivelly part, right? But remember, for Israel, this is a time of peace and prosperity. There are no big wars going on. Trade is going the way they want it to. And again, we have this image of God looking at the outward circumstance, but also looking at their hearts. And God is saying they're like the ripe fruit. Their time is almost over. He's no longer going to pass by when it comes to judgment. Thinking, bringing up images of that last judgment before Egypt and the Exodus. The imagery that we get in this passage sounds like a great military defeat, which will happen in just a few years. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring ruin to the poor of the land. This is what God has against them. Now let me reread God's description of whom he's upset with. Those that say, when will the new moon be over so we may buy and sell grain, and the Sabbath so that we can offer wheat for sale? We'll make the ephah small and the shekel great, and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and selling the sweepings of the wheat. Now a couple of those phrases may need some explanation, right? We don't normally wander around using ephahs anymore. The new moon they're talking about here is Passover those other days of worship. In our time, that's Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. He's talking about those who are impatient to get back to buying and selling when their heart should be focused on worship or should be focused on their family. Sounds pretty applicable today, especially if you work in a sector like retail. They want to make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceits with false balances. Now the ephah is the measurement that they use for grain. They want to make that small. They want to make buying it expensive. We might say that you're 
paying more for food and getting less in return. Again, seems a little applicable today. Practicing deceit with false balances. Now they're talking about those old time scales, right? The kind we now see with Lady Justice where you've got the two sides. And they're saying that when they're buying, oh, the, light, the, the, the scale may just be a little bit lighter. But when they're selling, that weight's a little heavier than it ought to be. Because you get cheated for what you pay. The buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. Buying the necessities of life to hit a rate that for the poor they've got to sell themselves into indentured servitude to survive. They couldn't just work their own land. Selling the sweepings of the wheat. They're also selling things that are impure in the name of greed and calling it regular. Now there's no natural calamity that are forcing the poor into destitution. We'd understand that. God would understand that. Oh, there's a great flood. There's no food. We've all, we've all got to ration and get by. We've all got to start growing victory gardens. My, my grandmother was growing a victory garden into the 1990s. Right? But there's no calamity. There's no drought. The calamity is their neighbors. And God's response to this, after pages of Amos warning them and warning them, is to say, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who lives in it, and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? God's justice is going to go through their land like a flooding river. For them, the Nile is a great kind of reference point. Today we might see the Mississippi. We might say the Schuylkill, right? We've seen what it looks like when it floods. You can still go down and look at bridges and look at some places where they haven't gotten around to clearing it out and still find big old tree branches in places they ought not be, right? It's been months. But we've all seen those videos, right? Big trees uprooted, cars floating down the river, telephone poles, roads that aren't there anymore. He says the sun's going to disappear. And instead of what we normally get in Scripture, where morning turns to dancing, their feasts will turn into a time of mourning. But God is also going to send a famine to the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but the hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but will not be able to find it. God's saying he's going to remove his word from the land. Our psalms know better this morning, right? You tyrant, why do you boast of wickedness against the godly all day long? Now the superscription on the psalm here says, says that it was written by David on the occasion when Doeg the Edomite had gone to Saul and told him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. Way back in 1 Samuel, David was trying to quietly free King Saul with the help of the king's son. And while he was trying to run away, he stopped at the house of Elimelech, who was a priest living in Nob. And when Elimelech saw David, he started asking, well, why are you here, David, without soldiers? Aren't you, the, aren't you the king's top general? Aren't you his war leader? And David lied. He told the priest he was on a special secret mission for the king. But he needed food and he needed a weapon because it was so special and so secret, he didn't have time to go home and get his stuff. And priests, being the trusting sort, gave him bread from the altar. Because David told him that he was living a consecrated life for this mission. 
So he gave that bread to David to eat. And the weapon that they had there at Nob was Goliath's sword, right? And he gave it to David. And Doag, who's the king's chief shepherd, happened to be there that day. He didn't hear the conversation, but he saw David walk in with nothing and leave with a giant sword, right? The kind you got to have back here is as big as David is. So the king is searching for David. Doeg says, well, he was at Nob with the priest that lived there. So the king calls Ahimelech to him and says, why are you conspiring against me, you and the son of Jesse? Why did you give him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so that he, when he rebels against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? And Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David? He's your son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household. Wasn't the first day I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing about this affair. And Saul had the priest and his family executed. But here's the thing. The bodyguards and the soldiers that were present got the order they wouldn't do it. So Doag did it. Soldiers weren't going to kill priests. And here we hear David calling out to God for justice. Now in 1 Samuel, a very few chapters later, David has the opportunity to kill Saul. And he doesn't. Instead, he cuts off a part of his robe. And he forbids his men for attacking him. David wants to see God's justice done. But he knows it's not his responsibility to go forward and execute that judgment. It's God's. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to come help me. Now most of us are not rich, right? We cannot oppress others the way Amos talks about. We can't manipulate the markets or set the price for grain. Most of us are not David. We're not in the midst of a dynastic struggle with kings. We can understand those things. We can read about those things. We don't experience them. Martha and Mary we can relate to. Right? Jesus arrives with a large group, and Martha runs around and starts taking care of her guests. And Mary goes and sits at Jesus' feet and listens. And it says that she's driven to distraction by the hospitality. She's being pulled in so many different directions, and it feels like it's in her own mind that she probably felt like throwing something. How many of you guys have siblings? Have you ever wanted, in your dealings with them, have you ever wanted to throw something against the wall when you don't feel like you're being treated right? So she stops being hospitable and goes to Jesus and embarrasses her sister, right? Well, if Mary's not going to do the work the way she's supposed to do, I'm just going to go embarrass her. We all know that's not the right thing to do. And Jesus' reply, Martha, Martha, you're just worried and distracted by many things. But there's only need of one thing. Mary's chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, that, what is that one thing that Mary did that Martha and all her distracted busyness and worried headspace couldn't do? I heard a preacher once explain it something like this. The one thing that needed is for Martha to receive the gracious presence of Jesus to listen to his words, 
to know that she's valued not for what she does or how well she does it, but simply because she's a child of God. Martha's frustration, though, is one we can all relate to. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, the very person in who all creation hangs together, as Paul writes about, cares about Mary and Martha so much, he listens to their sibling rivalry. He does the same we read in the Gospels for James and John. He's the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so he might come to have first place in everything. He came to defeat death so that we can have eternal life. And even though he found us in a broken and sinful world, it says, he's now reconciled in his flesh, fleshly body through death so as to present you a holy and blameless, irreproachable before him. Paul had written in Romans, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul became a servant to proclaim. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's in Christ that our freedom comes, and it's in Christ that we see justice for the whole world. Amen.